0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, Or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable. Reach out to new audiences and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert.
1: Good morning. Welcome to the show today. I am sitting in beautiful uh, uh, downtown Washington and uh, it has cooled off. I see the beautiful sky and I am wishing all of you wonderful uh, weather as well. Um, as those of you who listen to the show regularly know, my uh, I love all museums, but my heart uh, remains with uh, science centers and natural history museums. That's my background. And And that's my passion. And so I'm particularly pleased today to have uh, Walter Stavalos on the show today talking uh, with me about the uh, future of science centers and uh, also the relationship of science and society. Walter, as many of you know, is the director of international relations at the Association of Science Technology Centers. He's also currently the host of Aztec on Air, uh, which is inviting international international experts to contribute to the professional development of science center professionals. And this fall, he's going to be publishing a report on an international study about the soft skills kids can acquire in science centers in preparation for their careers. Uh, So, Walter, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be on the show today.
2: No, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, Walter, why don't you uh, share a little bit about your background and particularly those experiences that have shaped your current thinking about the role of science in society.
2: Sure. Uh, As as you may know, I'm I'm trained in uh, sociology of labor and I've been a little bit of a researcher at the University of Brussels and as you can hear, my, my accent is not really from Texas, so I'm originally from Brussels, Belgium. Uh, And uh, as the researcher at the university, one of the last projects that I had to do was investigate about the funding of fundamental research in Belgium. And doing so, I came uh, to contact with the the Belgian Association for the Advancement of Science and it was called Focus Research. And so they invited me actually to move from the university to take on that organization and, and promote the funding and, and more uh, efforts to support fundamental research. So I started actually by, by promoting fundamental research. But doing that, I came very quickly into the, the, the to understand the need that you could not do that without getting the public involved. And getting the public involved at that point uh, was starting pro- uh, uh, programs that would educate the public about, about science. And so trying to create a, a new relationship between the scientific community and the public by creating public programs. Uh, and I did do like quite a, a number of them in Europe over, of, over time. And after focus focused research, I became the director of EXITE, which is the European Network of Science Centers and Museums. And so I've done a, a, a massive number of, of programs uh, that involved uh, uh, science and, and society. But uh, to answer your question directly of what, uh, what has maybe triggered uh, my interest and my, my views about uh, how my views have been shaped over science and society uh, these days, I, I would give uh, two, two things. It's much more than that, but two things. Uh, one is when in 2008, uh, Steven Schneider, who is a a famous climate scientist from from Stanford, uh, wrote a letter to the House here uh, just after President Obama was elected uh, about climate change, and he explained the whole science behind the climate change and the global warming, and uh, he, he made very strong points, and the first being. We have enough evidence. You will never have one hundred percent of evidence about such a problem. It's so complex, it's uh, it's difficult, but we have enough evidence now to show that there is climate change, that there is global warming, that is human induced and all of that. And so we need to recognise that, because not doing anything about it is actually doing something. And so the understanding that just staying aside and looking to things uh, as they happen uh, is, is is taking a position, is taking a stand, and so he was very clear on that. That the, the scientific community was willing to become much more involved in how to use the science that they find, and so that's a very very important element for me in the, in the steps of how science relates to society, the scientific community itself. Uh, changing on these issues, and the second element that I would say uh, is uh, a book that George Hein published uh, two or three years ago, uh, and in which he says it's normal and it's good that science museums and science centers, all of places, take education as a central point of what they do. But for what? What are you doing with it? What is it just to be smarter? Uh, and his answer is, it's not useful if you don't uh, you, uh, uh, go for the better good. You should educate the public, but to make sure that may make a positive change in society. And so these two elements make me think that uh, there is an other role in science museums and science centers these days than just pr- f- uh, showing the phenomena and, and, and getting get people inspired, which is how can we bring that science that shows evidence about global problems and how can we make the people uh, and the citizens and our audience act upon it?
1: Oh, yes. Um, thank you for sharing both of those very important uh, uh, elements. And I particularly appreciate the uh, uh, Steve Snyder's statement that uh, doing nothing is actually doing something. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that we have been, uh, as as you and I have talked, we've been paralyzed for um, for many, many years on this subject and probably to our, our uh Carol so let's step back for a minute Walter as, as you said you've been um, you know working within uh, the science uh, community and, and have a very interesting perspective both um, uh, both in Europe and and uh, here in the US so how, how would you characterize uh, uh, the change in society's relationship over say you know the last uh, 30 35 years uh,
2: well, I, when I go back in the 90s, uh, maybe not 35 years, but in the 90s. That's okay. Sure. That's all
1: right. This isn't a quiz. It's, it's, it's a show about science, but we don't have to be precise on everything.
2: Okay. okay. Uh, so... Uh, we had uh, uh, a lot of controversies uh, in, in the 90s about uh, science, especially about cloning and and, and, and and things like that, and the Medcal disease and all of that sort. And so there's been a lot of controversy, and which made that the public was starting to get more and more. Uh, uh, critical about scientific endeavor and the scientists, etc. So, there, and certainly in Europe. And, and I think it was a little bit different in the U.S., but I was not here at that time, so I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure about how this was handled. But certainly the fact that the public was stepping more and more away from science at the moment that science was more and more uh, invading society in many aspects was become a critical issue uh, for the decision makers. And so at that time... Uh, the head of the uh, European uh, DG Research, the Ministry for Research for the European Union, so to say, was a a woman called Edith Cresson uh, from France. And her thing was, well, if people do not understand, it's because we do not communicate enough about what scientists do. And her thing was, we need to be more... uh, proactive in communicating science to the public but the way they w- they looked at it was if they don't understand it just may take a hammer and and hammer it in their heads and then if they will understand eventually and that is what we have been looking at and characterized at that time as what we call now the deficit model so trying to say you know you have to be more proactive in, in, in communicating science the way we do don't change anything science is right the science endeavor is right, people should just understand it and accept it, and if they don't it's because they are stupid or because they don't want to understand but just make it make it more obvious for them and so uh, that deficit model has been criticized and 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 so in the nineties you have seen uh, a change that uh, uh, that, that the relation between the scientists and the, and, and, the, and the public had to be different, that it was not like scientists telling the people what to do, but it should be a dialogue and, and that scientists should listen uh, to the views uh, of, of the public about their fears of science and their expectations about science. And so that has led, I, I think, to uh, what we call then uh, in the upstream engagement, which is how, how to involve the public in the scientific research method as early as possible and as early as uh, the formulation of the research question itself. How can scientists make sure that when they start a research and a big project, they, in, they get the public on board with that by having dialogues and discussions? With the public to see what are the expectations and what what, and and so that has been called upstream engagement. That's very famous in the UK. Of course, very uh, easy, so more or less to do in environmental sciences, in health issues. Not so much in particle physics, and we understand that. But the idea that the public has been associated with the research process as early as when you formulate the question, that is a big change, I think, uh, in Europe. And uh, that has been leading now, I I guess, to, uh, as I alluded to earlier, uh, the scientific community itself, uh, uh, bringing up the fact that what they find and what the result of their research is the evidence that they find should be used in the decision-making. So we have a whole process, I think, that has been changed over the years, which is the deficit model. You, you, you make them understand, you know, trying to make them understand, and if they don't want it, well, that's because they, are, they don't want it. Uh, and to the, uh, the renewed dialogue, to the upstream engagement, and now to the fact that the scientific community uh, wants this uh, uh, evidence-based decision-making uh, to make progress.
1: Um that's very interesting uh, Walter and and thank you for sharing the the uh, the issues of the deficit model I, I agree with you I think that I still I see that not only in science centers but also in other types of museums uh, there seems to be a, a sense of, of superiority that is so subtle uh, that sometimes uh, we within our community don't even realize it and it and it does uh, raise its head by by people saying well if people only understood uh, you know, XYZ, yeah. some fact yeah. uh, that mm. then they would miraculously uh, become more engaged in science and, exactly. and, and, and the scientific process and what I'm hearing you say is that there needs to be a, uh, mu- much more of a dialogue and a mm. two-way street and mm. um, using the vernacular of, of, of other um, er- uh, areas of, of curation we would perhaps call that shared authority
2: Mhm yeah absolutely i totally yeah that's exactly my my message yeah.
1: um and i don't i don't want to put you on the spot too much but um how i mean yes i know i i have uh, heard of some fabulous summits that have gone on um in um uh, in in Europe, uh, particularly in the UK, but also I'm thinking of one in Norway, where uh, the public was included in a variety of, of uh, workshops and conversations about uh, this upstream uh, work, as you say, sort of saying, you know, what are some of the questions that you're concerned about and how might we be able to go about creating a research methodology to answer those questions. Exactly. I'm sure not familiar with too many uh, scientists in the universities. Uh, here in the U- U.S. who are welcoming the public in open arms in helping them uh, create their research agendas.
2: That's correct. I, I don't either. <laughs> and, and that, so so I think so yeah, th- yeah, that's a bit yeah. Of an issue, yeah.
1: Right, so just as art curators may, you know, we like to, on this show, uh, ping art curators, and uh, I'm, not, I'm going to stop that, uh, because I think it's really anyone in authority wanting to share that authority uh, is, is, is a real challenge, uh, and it sounds to me, though, that where there's a challenge, there's an opportunity, and that may be where science centers come in, correct?
2: Well, oh, absolutely, and I think that... Uh, we have to make the scientific community understand that there is no way that evidence-based decision-making, which is the end of the spectrum that I described, would ever work if the public is not supportive of that. Uh, so you may go directly and jump over the head of the of the public and go directly to the policymakers and say, well, look, this is going on, on, on uh, these are the threats to the planet, this is going on in, in, in your city, uh, you know, you need, if you want to, create a sustainable city and address the global challenges, this is what we found, and that is what you have to do. The, the, the people who have to make decisions, they, they only listen to that if they have the feeling that this is a, a shared vision uh, by a larger part of society. So the scientific community is not going to make it happen if there is not an education of the public at the same time of what that science is that they have been found a finding about the problems and the science about the solutions. So there is a need of education of the public, and that's where science centers can come in. We are used to speak about these complex issues uh, to the public, and we translate them. But what we need to do is become part of that dialogue between the scientific community and the decision makers, and having the public supporting, based on what they have learned in science centers, uh, the vision that the scientists have.
1: Well, uh, yes, I agree with that vision. I think... uh, we are before we delve into perhaps the nuts and bolts and realities of, of, of that. Um, we're going to go ahead and take uh, a break a little bit early so that that we don't uh, break up our conversation. And so I just like to say that uh, those of you who have not had an opportunity to listen to Walter's program Aztec on air, uh, please do so. I'm I'm sure uh, when we come back from break, Walter can give us some more specifics on that. But it's a very very interesting and very important dialogue going on and then of course please remember that uh, I love to hear from my listeners so uh, shoot me an email or send me a tweet uh, carol.bossard at verizon.net or at right. Uh, so I always love to hear from uh, your thoughts and your concerns and how this program can continue to uh, pursue a very important dialogue about museums and its science centers in society so we will be back in a a moment more about science centers and their role in society with Walter Stavalos. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. Stay tuned.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712.
0: Are you ready for an Anything Goes, hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety
3: stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: you're tuned into museum life with carol bosser to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at Verizon.net. Now, back to museum life.
1: Welcome back. This is Carol Bossard and I'm here talking today with Walter Stavalos, who is the Director of International Relations at the uh, Science Association of Science Technology Centers here in Washington. And right before break, uh, Walter was uh, sharing uh, with us sort of his vision for how science... Uh, centers ha- can play a vital role in the uh, in society by bringing together scientists and the general public, uh, particularly in in areas such as climate change and other environmental issues that are are critical to our our livelihoods and our our existence on the planet. Uh, so Walter. I think you raised a wonderful and created a wonderful vision uh, for what role science centers could play, but um, what are the biggest challenges uh, facing science centers today in you know being able to really realize that
2: vision?-hmm right. Uh- well, uh, I would say about are four areas that I'm that I'm concerned about, and 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 maybe not in the right order. I'm going to speak about it, and, and, and it's not in order of importance, maybe. But I'm very. Uh concerned about our way to address the diversity issue and to make sure that our audiences are really uh, the diverse audiences that we are looking for. I remember uh, what uh, the First Lady said a couple of months ago when she was opening uh, that museum somewhere in New York. I don't remember which, which it was, but she said, I can tell you, basically she said something like, I can tell you that there are now uh, people out there who don't think that going to a museum is something for them because it's not made for them. Uh, and, uh, and, and she really was uh, referring to, to ethnic minorities and things like that. And, and this is a, a, real, uh, a real issue. Uh, I, I want to share some anecdotes with you. When I was working in uh, advising the South African government 15 years ago uh, on how to build a science communication uh, policy, we were in a van uh, going from one place to another and passing the Natural History Museum in Johannesburg. And I happened to sit next to the driver, and he was, of course, a, a, a black man. And so he, he suddenly he said, you know, this is a natural history museum. I say, oh, do you like it? He said, you know, i never been. And I say, why? And he said, well, during apartheid, we were not allowed to go in that museum. Only on Thursdays between 5 and 6, but of course no one would. And then when apartheid was over and the museum was open to everybody, then people thought that we would run and see what's in there. And we didn't. And the reason why is because it was not made for us. And that is a very significant thing. And it's always stayed with me, is that if you don't build the museum and the exhibitions and the programs for your audiences, then some of them are going to feel excluded. And I think that we are in this area a little bit in the sort of a deficit model for diversity in the way that we say science is good for you and no matter, who, no, no matter who you are, you will be better off in society if you are better educated in science. Well, the problem is you have to speak to different audiences in different ways and you have to make uh, your program, uh, programming and your staff and, 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 and so on and your, your design of your museum such that everyone feels welcome and I don't think that that is the case right now. So that is a big challenge, I think, because the the society is not it's not going to go back. we are only going to go in a more diverse society in the future and i don 't think we are prepared for that. Uh, the second thing that I would say is of course the technology uh, evolution and and there is more tech but people see more technology than science actually in society, <laughs> around them and the the evolution of technology is so fast that you know you you buy a cell phone today tomorrow it 's outdated and the new apps come out, and the thing is, it's, it's really hard to follow. I don't think that uh, science museums can, should try to compete with Google or whoever it is and trying to bring the n- latest uh, technology information uh, to the public. When, when people want to know something today, unfortunately, what they do, they Google. Well, unfortunately or not, but they Google. They don't say, oh, I'm going to go to the museum, because when they go to the museum, they may not find the answer. So there is a problem there of, of adaptation of, of, our, of our science centers to this fast evolution of technology. We do, uh, you know, of course, use technology ourselves to do Im- immersions and, and, and enhanced visits and things like that, and we should certainly continue doing that. But the, the innovation that's in technology and the fast pace that it has uh, is, very, is, is such that we have difficulty to, to follow up on that. And so my point is that we actually uh, should uh, create, and that is my third point, uh, more working on the giving the skills to the kids to become the innovators rather than try to show the latest innovation. And uh, you mentioned earlier that I'm doing this uh, report on the soft skills, and so even if this is now a challenge, it's an opportunity as well as you tried to say in the beginning. What What is going on today? is so When you look at how different countries' uh, score uh, on the PISA uh, uh, scale, then the U.S. usually complains that they are not high enough and that there are countries uh, like Japan and Sweden that are doing much better in science education than than we do. Uh, And that may be true, but what we find also is that actually the... Countries that score very high are not necessarily the countries that are creating a culture of uh, within their population for in favor of science, and that there is a large population wanted to go into science uh, uh, studies, etc. So sometimes it's even the opposite, like take Korea or Japan or things like that. So there is not a, a relationship between scoring high in the tests and being interested in science and and doing being creative. And what we find is that. Actually, those who are creative very often uh, have had out-of-school experiences. And the kids who are more interested in, and, 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 and um, intrigued in, uh, uh, into science is because they have been in a museum, in a science museum, or have had an out-of-school experience. And when we look at what actually the industry wants uh, as type of workforce, then we see that, the, the, that what they're looking for is... Critical thinking, problem solving, groups work, uh, use of new technologies, um, self-assessment type of things, uh, transfer from knowledge from one person to another, communication skills and things of that sort. These are things that the schools do not do or not enough. And these are things that science centers are well-positioned to do. And in most of them, they have elements of that. I think we need a very strong, more... uh, um, you know, proactive program in helping science center to develop with the kids the soft skills that they need to become innovators and find their place in the workforce of tomorrow. And then the the last uh, challenge, of course, is how can we make sure that science centers understand that they have to be part of the solution? And I mean by that. The science center is in a city, and most of the cities today have plans of how they want to become sustainable, how to address global issues, transportation issues, energy issues in their city, etc. There is no way that as a science center you can just stay away from that. Most of the cities have plans, and these plans will only work if every uh, uh, actor in the city has a role to play and to achieve in that, in that plan. Science centers should understand that they are part of that solution, that they have to figure out where is my position as a science center in a plan of a city like that. And so the challenge is how do you move from just getting people intrigued by science and making sure that they get to doing scientific studies and, and, and appreciate science to a place where they use science to solve uh, real problems
0: uh...
1: those thank you very much for raising those uh, four very important uh, points I- if you don't mind, I want to just go back uh, a little bit, maybe maybe test, uh, uh, dig a little bit deeper in into these for the sake of, of our listening audience, uh, because the the points that you make are are fascinating to me in that they are also themes that run through so many of the programs uh, and the guests uh, talking about the importance of museums in uh, in society. It reminds me, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, the the importance of being part of the community and being part of the solution uh, reminds me of a conversation that I had with Bill Booth several months ago. Bill Booth, of course, uh, a, a very well-known uh, science yes. center yes. director who is, is now doing fabulous consulting uh, work mm-hmm. with the uh, Haywood Institute. And one of the mm-hmm. points that that he has, has made over and again is that science centers need to sort of, um, and these are my words, not him, uh, they need to sort of get over themselves and get out and talk with members of the community and ask uh, not how they can be better science centers, but how uh, what people are concerned about in general, and then think internally about how a, how the science center might uh, assist in, in that area. Uh, I was fascinated to uh, to hear him recently uh, speak and uh, about a project he was doing in New Mexico, where he said, you know, when they ask uh, this the local Local Science Center asked people what they were most concerned about. You know, they talked about education. They talked about the environment. They talked about water. No one talked about science education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it seems to me that that, that is also um, what's laying behind what you're talking about as, Absolutely. as you know, as, that science centers need to be part of their community in talking about what the community needs, not necessarily what uh, would benefit the science center's um, business model.
2: And and exactly is what I'm saying, and that's why I say that actually today, in the way that we speak, most of our science centers speak about relating to their communities, is a new deficit model, in the way that we try to convince the community that it's important to have a science center, as it is, and and that's important to fund it. It's true, but at the same time, we cannot just try to convince people about that, and we're not going to convince anyone if we don't show that we are really looking at what they're, problems are, what it is that they want to solve in their lives, and that's, the, and, and, and that's the crucial these days. And most of the problems that they have, we have to be, uh, be, be totally clear about that, they are all related to science and technology. It's nothing that, 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 that is something so far away from what we do that we say this is totally absurd. It's on the contrary. It's all things that relate to what we should do. And and, and, and what science is, is investigating and what science tries to find solutions for. So our, our idea is indeed... Finding out what your community wants, what they are looking for, what are the challenges in that particular place, and then see how can you use your strengths and your capacities to make them understand it and act upon it. And that comes back to what George Heinz said, what I said in the beginning, education, yes, but for what, Right
1: yes uh, and I'm I'm glad that you uh, invoked George Hine and it also reminds me of of another sort of uh, I guess, sidestepping that I'm very concerned about when I uh, uh, monitor some of the Twitter conversations having to do with, oh, say, uh, museum's role in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, and racial issues, or any kind of community issue, I, I keep hearing sort of the fallback position of, well, you know, as a science center, we can only provide the facts and we can't really tell people what they should be doing with the facts. And what I, if I understand what you're saying, um, is that, yes, in fact, we need to help uh, people understand what they can do with those facts. I mean, it's education for a purpose. Am I understanding that correctly?
2: Well, yes, I, uh, yes, totally. But I would say you cannot do it in an artificial way if 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 things happen in I I'm in Chicago or whatever it is and the museum has not or no, I know I cannot say a, a, any example, but if a museum is confronted in its city with, with, with a situation like that and has not before that had this relation with the community, uh in the way that I describe it. It's not on that day just that you can decide, now we're going to do something, because it, it, it may be totally ineffective un, un, uh, un, at all. So it's something that you will only work if from the beginning when what you do, you are in that spirit. And then when something happens, people will turn to the science center themselves because they feel welcome there and they know that people understand their issues
1: yes uh, I could not agree more and uh, that also is a is a point that has been raised uh, several times on this show that it is a uh, development of trust uh, we we tend to uh, believe within our museum and I use that word broadly of course we're talking about science centers today that we are trusted organizations but I fear that sometimes we don't uh, act that way particularly and uh, and one way that we stub our t- toes significantly uh, is in this area of only acting when there is an immediate crisis and coming in as if we should be uh, mm-hmm. well-respected, and perhaps we have not yet earned that. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping uh, that uh, the work that you are doing uh, at, at Aztec and, and other leadership organizations, that that is becoming a, a significant uh, mantra uh for for you um, one other thing that i i just wanted to to raise a little bit when you talk about diversity and of course uh we know um, uh i now understand from from my colleagues Portia Moore and Adrian Russell that when we talk about when we use the word diversity it really is code for people that aren't white uh and and unfortunately so many of our our museums still remain uh uh you know white colored uh, oh, and yeah. and yeah. and when the only people in the uh, in in the the museum are people of, of color and they're the people who are washing the floors uh, or, or you know guarding the painting that's not necessarily giving us uh, you know, a, a, a good feeling uh, that true. we are um, you know we are for the entire community as Aztec sort of it, it's beginning to work on on these issues of um, uh, bringing Bringing in a more representative uh, leadership.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I totally agree. The, the the image that people have of the staff that they encounter when they come into a science museum is really significant. If they only see white faces, they 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 just say, yeah, well, what what am I doing here? And there are other and, and it goes in, in 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 smaller things as well. But we have seen examples where. Uh, uh, museums wanted to do the right thing, and they say, "Well, we're going to make a thing uh, into we're going to translate it in Arabic, for example, or thing." And then the flyer will be translated in Arabic, but the flyer is on a white sheet of paper, on an, you know like that, and, and just printed in a, in a in a copy machine instead of being a flyer. And so people feel like, "Oh, so we're good for this, and we don't get the real flyer." You know, this kind it can go in so many <laughs> small things, being uh, creating a culture of. Acceptance of of other cultures and other parts of your community is getting from the bottom to the top, not not just in one or two aspects.
1: Yes, absolutely, and as as uh, Portia Moore has reminded us uh, more than once on this show, that even using words like inviting. Uh, certain groups in uh, yep. sort of has a has a subtlety as if they need an invitation uh, that they they <laughs> could they couldn't come any other way. Uh, so uh, this is this is Walter. This is su- such a va- uh, rich and valuable uh, conversation. We're going to take a second break, and when we come back, uh, more with Walter Stavilos and also talking about some uh, uh, examples that uh, that Walter has that. perhaps Perhaps will help science centers throughout the country uh, refocus their energies in a new and exciting way. So we will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossard from Museum Life.
3: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Terrell Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712.
1: Up Close with Chris Tinney is now on Voice America Variety. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, Chris brings you the thought leaders, activists, and socially responsible entrepreneurs taking action for the environment, doing business in a new way, and helping the underprivileged. Call in or listen in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and learn how the small decisions you make today have a big impact on our small planet in the future. Tune in to Up Close with Chris Tinney on the Voice America Variety Channel.
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's one Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life.
1: Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. Um, I am talking today with Walter Stavilos and about the important role that science centers need to be playing in our community and how there are areas of uh, of of diversity and technology and uh, lack of collaboration that uh, are really sort of holding science centers back and interesting um, as many of you know some uh, I wish uh, that we could continue the conversation that the guest and I are having while you're listening to uh, some advertisement because those are often very very rich and this is uh, uh, no different when Walter and I were were on break we were talking about the importance of reaching out to the community, particularly when we're talking about um, uh, representation in uh, areas of the community that perhaps are not well represented in the museum. And and Walter, I just uh, wonder if you would just express on the air what you were telling me about how mu- uh, science centers need to, to go about that.
2: Yeah, uh, what what I was saying is that actually we we start from. We cannot just sit down today and say, okay, let's now become inclusive and we make a plan and and, and we're going to roll it out and we're going to make sure that we pay attention to everything and we're going to read a number of texts and things like that and then we will open it again and then these communities will come in. If there is not a collaboration, if you do not start the work by identifying uh, in these communities that you want to address who the people are who are speaking on their behalf, who are people who really represent uh, the vision that that, uh, that that these communities have. And if you do not involve them in a co-design a programs, it's not going to work. So you, you need to do an additional effort here to, to make sure that, that you go beyond your traditional work of, of, of b- building museums and exhibitions. You really need to create a total different relationship with these communities because we start from, from so far and, and we have to catch up. And we can only do it if these trusted people in these communities are our partners and, and so that they can then speak to their community and convince them that this is a real change.
1: Thank yes <clears throat> thank you for sharing that um uh. Uh, on air I I think that you make a very important uh, critically important point Um, why don't uh, I know you have some examples uh, that you can share perhaps there are examples from uh, Europe uh, about the role that uh, that just illustrate uh, the important role science centers can be playing in their communities as these uh, sort of facilitators of public scientists Mm -hmm. uh, research communities uh, collaborations and conversations?
2: Well, uh, I, have, I have three things in mind that I want to share with you. Uh, the first is the, the trash crisis in Naples, and then I want to say something about uh, Colombia, and then uh, uh, something about a, a, a European program in that regard. So the first thing about Naples, you, you, you may recall that like six, seven years from now, the city of Naples was uh, under the trash. The trash was not collected anymore uh, for some reason. And uh, the city was stinking and, and, you know, it was a total mess. It was a real crisis. There is a very strong science center in, 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 uh, in, in Naples. And they looked at the situation and they understood that bo- many of these things were due to uh, bureaucracy, but also to the role of the mafia. You know, they, they, the mafia would really help industries from the north of Italy to come to Naples and dump their trash in the, there in that region uh, and, and uh, totally out of, of every legality. And, and so the whole population was starting to suffer very, very strongly and the health issues were big, etc. Et so what do you do when you are a science center in, in, a, in a place like that where the crisis is so big and, and that all the cities is getting under the trash? So the idea that they had was, uh, they partnered with a local uh, newspaper, Il Martino, the morning uh, newspaper, and they explained uh, in an article about the four R's, the reduce and and reuse and etc. And etc. Et about energy, and asking the population to. Uh, go to a website that they created and ask questions and su- suggest solutions and things like that on how to solve the thing. And in 30 days they had 25,000 people from the city coming to that website and asking questions and making solutions So and su- suggesting solutions. So they build workshops inside of the the science center with uh, university uh, people, with uh, NGOs, with uh, people from the city, and, and especially with citizens. And they also organize technical uh, workshops to explain how to reuse trash, what you could do, etc., etc. And so <laughs> they build the whole awareness of the population about the fact that the trash crisis like that was not necessarily a, a disaster, only that there were ways today to use energy in such a way, or use trash in such a way that you can reuse it and that you can save energy. and that you can. So there was a very positive eff- effect on the whole cri- They did not solve the crisis, of course. The Science Center did not solve the crisis, but certainly they created a movement of education amongst the population that made them understand better what it is that they could do.
1: That's a but
2: fabulous that was, example. Yeah. yeah. So the second one is, and, and it's sorry, it's a little bit about trash again. But you know, the Parque Explorer in in Colombia, and the situation in Medellin is even worse because we, not only you have, uh, uh, you know, the gang there related issues and the, and the, the cocaine and the, all the drug issues, and, and, and it, it's getting much much better these days. But uh, ten years ago, uh, when the Science Center was was created, the, the whole city was in, under the violence and and so where the parquet explorer has been created is next to what was the city a dump from the city, a trust. And seventeen thousand people that were displaced because of the war against terrorism in the, in that in that country or, 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 or you know you, you you may have your own opinion about what what, what was going on, but the war at least uh, made a lot of people displaced and they came to the city and they were living on that place thirty five meters high dump and, and 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 you know like that and the The problem is that uh, of course, there were health issues related to that, there were issues of security related to that, etc. So the Science Center, being next to that, had no choice than to be part of the plan of the city to trying to get that population on board to, uh, uh, to solve the, uh, to, to do an environmental rehabilitation of that area. And so to do, uh, they, what they did is exactly what I just described earlier about finding the right people in the, in the community. So the Science Center identified with the academic people, the university, what the health issues were, what, uh, what the problems of security were, and they identified what the gases were, for example, that came out of this dump and how they would affect people's lives, etc. And uh, they identified over time very nine people from the community who would be interested and uh, uh, slightly more educated and, and wanted to do something in their community to help them. And so the science center worked with them, educated them about the the health issues, the, the security issues, etc., and helped them play the role in their community to make people uh, react and act so that they would not suffer or that they would leave or do other things or get educated, et etc. et cetera. So there is a real... A real role for a science center you cannot just sit there and watch it right, and so that's what they have done and and it works, and the center is 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 really attracting the population because people know that that's that they can trust them as and we spoke about that trust earlier and so the the program the European program that i'm uh, uh, talking about is that from it came from the European union, from the administration they have asked the European network of science Center, to set up 65 dialogues between scientists and the public in 65 different cities all over Europe, again, on on alternative uses of energy, and uh, uh, use these conversations to have a better plan of research for Europe on what is the priority the public sees on the reuse of energy and the reuse of, of materials. And so the results of that is that the European Commission, and it's a small amount, it's only 10 million euro, let's say 15, $15 million dollars, but the research program is going to be built based on the recommendations of these uh, 65 conversations. So there is a big trend, I would say, the recognition first from the science center that in the community they can play a role, and then on the European level, the, the commission itself finding that the science centers are these places where these conversations can take place. And so they have invested in that. So 65 conversations between scientists and public all over Europe is huge. I agree that $15 million to do the program is not, not, not enough, but it's a start. And I think once people are uh, aware of that, that there is a possibility for science centers to become these places Uh, to have the dialogue and come up with concrete proposals of what the research should do and what the scientific community should look at, then we are in a totally new place.
1: Those are fabulous, fabulous um, examples, Walter. Thank you for sharing them. And, you know, the other thing that that strikes me, uh, as you say, they're all uh, programs that worked with the community, not just for the community. I mean, they really, yeah. you know, rolled, uh, metaphorically rolled up their sleeves. Um, but those are also significant, um, impactful programs that had nothing to do with worrying about how many people came through their doors or bought a ticket and oh, no. <laughs> you know and, and, it, and it seems to me that one of the challenges uh, that um, many museums but I, I fear particularly science centers face is that they are their business models are based on an enter what I call an entertainment model and there probably is a better word for that I mean it doesn't mean that you mm-hmm. can't have fun at science centers or, or mm-hmm. any place but, but that it's predicated on creating a product such as an exhibition or an event uh, and, and, uh, and then spending advertising money to get people through the doors, paying customers, paying visitors, uh, through the doors to participate in that event. And so then the metrics become how much money was brought in, how many bodies came through the door. And uh, it seems to me that for science centers to be released to do these other more innovative um, community-based programs, they're going to have to find a a way to shift that business model or at least that, that, um, that thinking. Would you agree?
2: Well, shifting maybe and, and we don't want to abandon all the good things that we do. I mean, there is a lot of pro- and, and exhibitions is the core of our, of our business and, and, and the programs that we build for, for kids to, you know, to, to communicate, become uh, better communicators about science and all of that. That is, that's, we need to continue doing that. What I'm saying we have to add a layer uh, way. And the thing is that people will understand adding that layer, as difficult as it's going to be in the beginning, there will be more bodies coming through the door after that. So it's not. it can be of economical value as well that when you diversify your offer to the community and you show to the community that you are really caring about them and that you work with them uh, to improve the lives of everybody, then more more people will come to your science center. so I don't think there is a conflict between that shifting idea and and the economical model.
1: Thank you that's that's uh that's that's interesting. Um, perhaps uh, uh, as you say, it's just an expansion of of thinking and broadening one's uh, value metrics. Uh, beyond uh, beyond just just that. Um, Walter, we have a, just a couple a uh, couple more minutes. actually one more minute. Would you share just a little bit about the Aztec on the air and for people who are interested in, in participating in that, uh, in that podcast? How do they find out about it?
2: Oh, well, uh, they can find it out on, on the Aztec website if they want to go there, and it will be announced regularly there and through our social media as well. But the principle that I try to, to bring is that there is so much going on outside of the science center field. There is so much expertise out there that actually relates directly or not so directly to things that we do. And I hope that some professionals from our field uh, listening to these people that I, that I talk to so that they finally understand that and maybe adapt some of that to their daily practice. I don't want to be teaching museology or to, 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 uh, teaching the business to people. What I want to do is to make sure that they are open to what's going on out there and then maybe change a little bit the way they think about their own, their own practice in their science museums. So I had people speaking about, uh, about uh, uh, you know, diversity issues and gender issues with the, the, the director of research at Microsoft, and, and I spoke with the, the head of the IPCC on climate change and things like that. So these people that are not in science centers, but do things that directly relate to what we do.
1: That's fabulous, yes. I've I've found the uh, programs extremely useful, and I'm so glad you're doing that. Walter, thank you again. I know that you are leaving this program to jump on an airplane to go to South Africa uh, for for some work. uh, So I truly appreciate you carving out this uh, time to uh, speak with us today. Walter, thank you for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much.
1: And we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Until then, thank you for listening. It uh, is very humbling for me to know so many of you are touched by uh, what I'm doing on this program. Uh, So until next week, this is Carol Bossert from Museum Life.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.